Hey, it's Linda Ferguson of NLP Canada Training here today to give you a little NLP perspective on Zoom fatigue. You know, I've read about Zoom fatigue. I've read that it is real, must be real, because researchers at Stanford University say it's real. And I'm sure there are lots of you who have been on lots of video calls that were exhausting. But to say Zoom is exhausting is to mix up what people have been doing with what is possible. Now, at the same time I've been reading that Zoom fatigue is real, I have had children as young as five on Zoom with me for more than two hours and be eagerly engaged. I have run classes that run at least six hours of teaching time spread over about eight hours of actual time and had people report that after a weekend of training, they feel more energy and not exhausted at all. So I'm going to share the perspective that's been making that happen. Now, NLP is in part an art of mind-body thinking. It looks at the relationship between our brain, our mind, and our body and how that system functions all together. And the most accessible part of that system is not our mind, which is changing all of the time. It's not our brain, which we can't know anything about. We can't see it. We can't feel it. It just turns up as thoughts in our mind or it turns up as feelings in our body. And so our sensory perceptions and our bodies become the part of the system that we have the most access to, the part that we can watch function, that we can experiment with, and the part that we know. Now, in NLP, there are only three sensory systems. Visual, auditory, what you're doing with your ears, and kinesthetic, what you're doing with all of your other senses, including senses like balance. And so let's think for a minute about that third group, because it seems like it would be pretty deprived in a Zoom call. That if you are sitting at a desk for a long period of time, kind of by definition, you feel trapped and chained and all those exhausting kind of words. And that can be true or not. Some of it's really super practical. Is your screen far enough away from your eyes and your body? Do you have room to talk with your hands? Are you far enough away from the camera? Have you set things up so that you can see and be seen and still have room to be in motion? Now, you're not going to be up and pacing, although you could. You could take a Zoom call as a participant where you're just on your phone, and then you could hold it and move. There's nothing wrong with pacing back and forth in an office. It is a time-honored 
even, I think, proven by science way of thinking, of activating the whole system so that your mind and your brain and your body can work together. But I haven't been doing any pacing because I'm always the one running the meeting and I really need to give my attention to all that administrative stuff that is part of running a video call. What I do is I, first of all, sit back, give myself room to move. Secondly, take enough breaks so that I can move. If you have a few minutes get up, stretch, have a quick bio break. If your meetings aren't programmed that way, that is not the ultimate reality. That's just a choice of the people running the meetings. In my meetings, we create lots of movement in and out of breakout spaces where people have a chance to move their bodies without being watched. And I think that's really important. It is really important for those of us over a certain age who find that we just get really sore sitting in a chair. So don't make yourself sore. If you're sore, find a way to not be sore. That's the first kind of message that NLP would give us. Uh, The second thing is to work the connection between your body and your other senses. And the way I would do that, and I'll talk more about it when we get to the eyes, is... Nobody says that because your meeting is on a computer, your note-taking has to be on a computer. And I am never at a keyboard when I do not have multiple writing instruments and things to write on. Now, I'm not a great doodler. I'm trying to get better. But if you can draw at all, you can draw invisibly on Zoom. Nobody can look over your shoulder to see what you're doing. And this is a gift because people who doodle in meetings attract attention, physical meetings. But on Zoom, people just see that your hand is moving, if anything, and mostly they can only see you kind of from the chest up. And that gives you permission to doodle, to draw, to make random movements with your hand on paper, and that random movement of doodling has also been proven by science to be good for your retention of information. So by doodling, by doing graphic note-taking, by taking notes in interesting ways, you're not just feeling better, you're actually doing better. You're going to remember more. You're going to be more aware of what you're hearing. So that movement of your hand, especially as it connects with your eye, is just super useful. And you could try that, right? Because all you need is a pen or a pencil. If you are compulsive, you might need a pencil and an eraser and a piece of paper, and just, it doesn't really matter. Nobody is seeing what you're doing, so you don't have to be embarrassed because you can't draw. You don't have to be embarrassed because you're drawing something that, you know, you don't want other people seeing you draw, even if it's just doodling daisies or something. So that is one of my secrets to working with children on Zoom. Almost always we're drawing together. And by having our eyes and our hands moving together away from the meeting, 
we not only have fun and create art, which is great, but we also, even five-year-olds, need a little bit of privacy, a little bit of space to do their own thing and think their own thoughts in company with other people. So what are you doing with your ears when you're on Zoom? If you are gluing your eyes to the screen in hopes of reading expression, you're probably doing the wrong thing. Because there's also research, some recent research, according to Adam Grant's podcast, but also older research, that suggests that you get a better understanding of other people's feelings by listening and especially by listening without seeing, than you do by staring at making eye contact and reading, you know, the tells on people's faces, which can be terribly demanding and um, really hard on relationships. So if you are on a Zoom call, feel free to... Give your ears a workout to listen for what you're hearing, to really tune up, not just your awareness of what is being said, but the way tone gives you insight into pacing and motivation and emotion. And just let that happen. If your hands are busy, you will find it's easier for your ears to open up because you won't be perplexed by what you don't know how to do. You'll just sort of be attentive to the flow of a person's voice or of a conversation. And that's really helpful. So finally, we get to the visual, that visual part of video conferencing that everybody writes is so tiring because you're always staring at pictures that are too big or too small, and you are always seeing yourself reflected back at you. You know, on Zoom at least, if you don't want to see yourself, you can turn off your self-view. If you're like me and you are running a room... You need to see yourself as part of the group. And I think that's a wonderful thing about Zoom. Because when I'm in a real room, I'm the only person I can't see. And when I look around and I look for patterns and rapport in the room, I have to really consciously check in with myself to find out if I'm part of that. But on Zoom, I just watch all the pictures. It's not me. It's a picture of me. And all those pictures at the same time, because I'm always in gallery view if I am speaking to a room full of people, lets me know not just how I'm doing, but how I fit in, who's leading and who's following. And it's a really simplified way of grabbing that information. So just because I'm looking for that, I'm not exhausted, I am kind of wide awake and curious. It also means, you know, getting over yourself. But we're a year in. You've seen yourself on camera before. It's time to let it go. I do love Zoom's, you know, touch up my appearance feature. I do like having good light and I put all that together. I do. I have my own little bits of vanity. But I don't find it exhausting. 
I do find it exhausting sometimes when I am in my college classroom and I'm talking to a blank screen. They can see me, but I can't see them. And I, I don't love that. That, that takes a lot more cognitive effort. And when I need to make that cognitive effort, it means I need to put that audio, the interior audio, to work. Telling stories about how people are listening, imagining them connecting to me, and paying attention to what's coming through chat and microphones sometimes. So your eyes can guide you into your ears. Your ears can guide you back out to your eyes. Now, one of the things that happens in a room is we don't just stare at each other. We kind of look around. And in a Zoom room, that can mean that you get kind of fixated on the computer. If you find that you're looking at the computer too much, cheat. I know, it's remarkable. Put a picture of somebody you love or a place you love right behind the camera on your laptop and then just look at the picture and your eyes will be close enough to the camera especially if you sit back a little the people will think you're really intent on the meeting and you will be intent but instead of being kind of glazed and having your eyes dry out you're going to be letting your eyes do what your eyes would do normally to wander around and to catch on something while you think and while you listen. It will give you time not to be reflected by Zoom, but to control the way Zoom sees you so that you can reflect on what you're hearing. Of course, the same thing is true if you are doodling or taking notes, that freedom to look at the paper instead of straight at the screen doesn't just give your hand a reason to move, but it gives your eyes a reason to move. And that movement of the eyes is really hugely helpful. Because what we want is to find in a video call what is real and good. NLP teaches us that the way to make a difference is not to focus on what is wrong and try and fix it, but to be so curious and engaged in what is right that we don't have any leftover room for worrying about what is imperfect. So those are a few little tips and as usual, I say I'm the greatest of skeptics. I teach people in my NLP courses that the fundamental process for thinking is guess and test. So you should guess which of these things will work for you and then try it out. And if you get a result you like, grow that result, create with it, play with it. And if you don't get a result or don't get enough of a result, Try moving into a different sensory system. So if you've been focused on doing something different with your eyes, do something different with your hands. Move your shoulders differently. Move back or forward from your computer camera. And always let your ears do the work because 
they really enjoy getting your full attention. You know, they are the, the sense we pay the least mind in normal times. We pay attention to our bodies because we have to, because they get us places, because they carry out tasks for us. And we pay attention to our eyes because we're such a visual culture and we are always looking at stuff and looking for cues and having a vision. But we don't even have a word that means have a representation of the future that occurs in your ears. Except, of course, for my favorite word of all, story. When you change the stories that you're hearing and telling, you change your body, you change your ears, and you change your eyes. So tell a different story about Zoom, and maybe instead of being fatigued, you'll be connected. I'm Linda Ferguson, NLP Canada Training.